Pastor Chris's podcast. It's good to be back with you. We enjoyed our trip out on the West Coast, uh, driving down, seeing the beautiful creation, having the the ocean on one side and the mountains on the other side, literally. And a little bit of the mountains look like they'd fallen into the ocean. Um, if you've ever get a chance to drive down 101, it's a beautiful drive. I mean, every last mile of that road is a beautiful drive from where we started at Cannon Beach in Oregon all the way down to San Francisco. But uh, beautiful. Um, at one point, you know, they, they have the little scenic view, viewing places that you see when you're driving through the mountains. They have those like every half a mile. Um, you literally just have to stop going to them because every mile is beautiful and you will never make it down the highway if you keep stopping. But um, we're glad to be back. Glad to be back. My uh, garden is, grew exponentially while I was gone. I guess y'all must have got some good rain while I was out of town. The weeds also grew, so I got to get back on top of that. It's always good to be back home, though. I've been looking forward to this day talking with you about Pentecost. You know, we, we started at Easter, and I encouraged you to read the book of Acts through that Easter period of time. Hope you did that, read those 28 chapters. If you didn't, it's not too late. It's a, still not too much to read, and you can pull it out and, and, and catch up to it. The story of Pentecost comes from the beginning of the book of Acts. It's in the second chapter. Jews celebrate a harvest festival seven weeks and one day after Passover. So that's 50 days after Passover. So it's a harvest festival, which we, you know, if, you, if you've got a garden and you're starting to get stuff that's coming in, uh, maybe you've got tomatoes on the vine, uh, maybe they're not red yet, but they will be soon. So we understand a little bit about that harvest period. Those Jews would celebrate that time. And this was an important festival for them because they lived in a time where, you know, they couldn't just run off to the grocery store if uh, the garden didn't do well. If the garden didn't do well, it means they didn't eat. So when the garden did well, they had something to really celebrate. It was like, yay, thank you, God. We can actually have food to eat now for the rest of the year. We won't starve to death. It was, a very, it was linked very closely to their, their faith in God and their dependence. So they had this harvest festival 50 days after Passover. And of course, in Jesus' day, this religious festival drew thousands and thousands of people from all over the world who would come to Jerusalem, to the temple, for this religious uh, festival. And that's what we find, and we will find in our scripture reading today. Pentecost is the 50th day after Passover. It's also the 50th day after Easter for Christians. And so for Christians, it commemorates the coming of the Holy Spirit to fill Jesus' followers and marks the official birth of the Christian church. So let's read the story from the second chapter of Acts. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then they looked, then, it, then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And so on the screen, this is a picture of St. Thomas. 
is, uh, and, and it's, you know, kind of an iconic picture. You might have seen pictures like this where they have a saint and they have that circle around their head. What we know is called a halo. In our time, we typically think of halos being on angels, right? It's the circle that's above their head. Well, what this represents all goes back to this day of Pentecost. It was this light, this radiance of the Holy Spirit that shone. And artistically in paintings and statues, Christians would represent that someone was a Christian, that they had the Holy Spirit by putting the halo around their head like that. It was an artistic way of depicting the light of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God that resides in a person. And so uh, that's what they did. Now in, in, in our time, we hear this scripture and it says, flaming tongues of fire descended upon. That can be kind of scary for us. Because when we see fire, when we think of flame, we think of burning. But that's because most of our lighting today is electrical, right? When we think of light, we think of electricity. But they didn't have electricity in Jesus' day. So their light was either the sun, maybe the stars or the moon, or it was fire. It was like the fire of a candle, the flame. Or if they had an oil lamp, it was the, the flame on their oil lamp. Or if they were carrying a torch, it was a, the fire of their torch. So for them, fire, of course it represented burning, but it was more closely related a lot of times with light and radiance. And so these tongues of fire, these flames of fire falling on them, is not about burning, it was about the radiance of God's spirit, just like is depicted in this picture of St. Thomas. This was a godly person. And if we think about that, we can think about all of us being Christians. In this next slide, you can think about it like this. Here is another St. Thomas that you might have seen. <laughs> have you ever thought of St. Thomas, uh, our own Tom Dixon? With the halo, I mean, y'all are laughing a little too hard at this, right? What's the problem? If we had the eyes of Christ, and I could look out upon all of you and see that you are a Christian, Christ is your Lord, then, then if I could see with God's eyes, I could see a halo of light around each of you because the Spirit of God resides in you and that radiance is there. It'd be cool to have a church directory and every person shown in the pictorial directory had a halo above them. That's not a bad idea. Well, maybe it is a bad idea. It doesn't really fit our time, our day and age. But this is certainly the idea. Going on in the scripture, verse 4, and, every, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. And we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya, around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, 
And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk, that's all. And so the scripture says in verse 4 that everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. The question on the screen says, what is the Holy Spirit? And I've been asked that question before. What is the Holy Spirit? I can understand why people would ask the question. The real question would be, who is the Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is not a what. The Holy Spirit is a who. It is the Spirit of God. In Christianity, we believe that there is one God revealed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is a person. Of course, it's easy for us to think of Jesus as being a person because he was in the flesh just like us. And maybe, it, maybe we could think of God as a person because in the Old Testament we read oftentimes of God speaking to people and people speak and so we think of God as a person. But then we come to the Holy Spirit and we, we have more trouble wrapping our minds around it because it's a spirit, it's a spirit and, but the spirit is a person. The Spirit is a person, not a what, but a who. The Spirit is God's Holy Spirit. And this is a mystery. I know the Trinity is a complex mystery. We don't have time to really try to tackle that today. But the point is, the Holy Spirit of God descended upon and filled Christians at Pentecost. Furthermore, Every Christian who believes in Jesus Christ and follows him as Lord is filled with the same Holy Spirit. We are the people of Acts. Those people that we read about in that book, we are the same people. And even the book of Acts, which has 28 chapters, but it is not a book that has been completed because you and I are still living that story. What we do today is part of their story. So we are writing the next chapter. Because we also have the Holy Spirit when we believe in Christ living in us. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses for Christ. What evidence of the Holy Spirit's power do you see in the believers in Acts chapter 2 verse 4? In the scripture, it says everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what did they do? They, they began speaking in other language. They began speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit enabled them to speak in other languages. Why? Was it just a, a parlor trick? Was it just a, a something fancy that God wanted to do to kind of show off its power? No, it had a purpose. When God's Holy Spirit enabled them to speak in other languages, it was because there were people there in Jerusalem from all over the world. 
people who spoke all of these different languages. And these Christians were empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the good news about Jesus Christ in their native tongues. And this was a miraculous power of God. Now think about that. We live in Dalton, Georgia. We have a large Hispanic community that lives here. And so it's likely that, that some of you have had your, found yourself into a situation where you were with someone who didn't speak English, right? They only spoke maybe Spanish. And you probably don't speak Spanish, you speak English. But maybe you have picked up a few little words here and there. And if you come face to face, maybe um, if you work in, say, a pharmacy or you uh, work in a, a restaurant and there's someone that comes in the door and they don't speak English. Maybe they speak a broken English, right? A few little words because they, they couldn't help but pick up a few things, right? Because they've been living here. And maybe you've picked up a few things because you've been living here. And so through a few minor Spanish words that you might know and a few English words that they might know and a lot of hand signals and, and sounds and it's like playing charades, you might be able to communicate with them, right? Have you ever had, raise your hand if you've ever found yourself in a situation like that and you had to do that. Yeah, we, a lot of us have. And so if push came to shove and you had to tell that person about Jesus, you could figure out a way to communicate, but it would be very difficult, be very time-consuming, very labor-intensive. It would be exhausting, wouldn't it? And God said, I want these people that are all gathered here in Jerusalem, because many of those that were gathered in Jerusalem, they probably spoke other languages because people were so mixed together at that time. You know, everybody would speak like their own native language, but then they might know a little bit of Greek and a little bit of Aramaic so that they could communicate with each other. But God says, I want them to hear the good news about Jesus in their own language because I want them to hear it not just with their mind. I want them to hear it with their heart. I want them to, to know about Christ's love. I want them to know what he has done. But all these Galilean Christians, they only know how to speak their own language. So I'm going to give them my Holy Spirit to enable them to speak in these languages. And if you've ever tried to learn another language, you know how difficult that can be. I mean, many of us tried in high school, right? Took years of Spanish or whatever and got done with it and couldn't speak a lick of Spanish, right? And these Christians miraculously, supernaturally, in an instant, had the ability to speak perfect whatever language God wanted them to speak. This was the miraculous power of God. Now, some denominations make a whole thing out of speaking in tongues. Um, a lot of Pentecostal uh, families of denominations, like a Assembly of God, they, they have a, a speaking in tongues as part of their faith tradition. So that sometimes even in a worship service, uh, one person might stand up in the service and speak in tongues. And if you've ever experienced that, it might have freaked you out. 
because it sounds like gibberish, you know, they're speaking and you're like, what in the world is going on here? Well, that's because for them, that is a, it's part of their tradition. And it goes back to this idea of the Holy Spirit supernaturally empowering them to speak in another language. And usually if, if that is part of their tradition, there will also be someone in the service who is supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit to interpret what that person is saying so that the whole congregation can be edified by it. And 1 Corinthians chapter 14 does mention speaking in tongues as a gift of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, there's actually two forms of speaking in tongues that we find. The first is what we read about in the second chapter of Acts, is where the Holy Spirit enables Christians to speak in an another earthly language that they did not previously know in order to tell someone that needs to know about Jesus. A second form of speaking in tongues that we read about in the New Testament, um, for instance, in the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, is speaking in angelic languages. So this is not an earthly language, but it is an unknown language. Maybe a heavenly language. And this is what we typically see in Pentecostal-styled churches today. And it, it's simply a way for them to recognize or to show that the Holy Spirit of God is there amongst them. And it has enabled this person to do something that they would not otherwise be able to know how to do. So those two kinds of speaking in tongues are part of the New Testament. But I want to talk with you about another kind of speaking. I, I kind of think of it as speaking in tongues. Maybe you don't. But it's, a, it's another way of communicating. See, because God empowers each and every one of you to speak to people who are in your sphere of influence. You realize that there are people... Maybe they are your family relatives or they're your friends or your neighbors. Maybe there are people, they are people that are in your profession. You know, every profession's kind of got its own language, right? Teachers have their own little way of talking to each other. They have their own inside language. Medical people. I don't know why medical professionals have to use so much Latin. Can you just tell me it's my arm and not use the Latin name for it? But medical professionals, they have their own language. Preachers, we have our own language. And sometimes it's, you're looking out, looking at me saying, what in the word are you saying? It's because I'm using preacher language and I need to translate it to regular layperson language so we can all understand. But each of you, has a sphere of influence of people and you have your own language, way of talking. People can hear and understand you and they will listen to you because they know you and have a relationship with you. They won't necessarily listen to me because they don't know me. Maybe they're not even a Christian or a churchgoer because I don't care what some Christian preacher that they don't know has to say. But they care about what Deborah has to say because they know Deborah. They care about what Judy has to say because she came to visit them the other day. They care 
about what Amy has to say because she works in the same office that they do. You see what I'm saying? And so God empowers each and every one of you to speak to those people in a way that will influence them. Hopefully for the positive. Hopefully for the sake of Christ. I can't speak to them. They won't listen to me. or They won't understand me. But they will listen to you. And they will understand you. God's Holy Spirit empowers every Christian to be a faithful witness. Now, that can be intimidating for us. Maybe we don't feel comfortable or even able. You know, we think, what if they ask me a question and I don't know the answer to it? Or I don't know what the Bible says about this or that. And so you can feel very overwhelmed. And, but the Holy Spirit empowers you supernaturally, not necessarily to have all the answers, but to speak to them in a way that they can hear. And you may not feel able. Guess what? A lot of people don't. You remember what Moses said in Exodus when God said, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go? He said, whoa, I think you got the wrong guy. I'm not a public speaker. My tongue gets all twisted up and I stutter and... You know, he was trying to back off just like we do. Not me. I'm not able to do that. And God said to Moses, and he says the same thing he says to him to us. He says, who created the tongue in your mouth? Who taught you how to speak? Is it not God, the creator if he can teach Moses to speak to Pharaoh, if he can teach David to defeat Goliath, if he can teach Peter, a fisherman, to preach a sermon on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday, he can certainly teach you. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips people he calls. God doesn't need you to be able. He simply needs you to be available. God can enable anyone to serve. There's one story in the Old Testament where he used a donkey to speak his word. If he can use a donkey, he can surely use Tom Dixon. Or you. The real question is, are you available? There's a big thing going on in the world today, especially, I don't know about the rest of the world, but I know it's going on in America. I know it's going on right here in our community. It's this, and it's all post-COVID. Um, you know, when COVID hit, everybody was told you need to stay home. <laughs> stay home to stay safe, keep your community safe, and that's what we did. And then after things started to open back up, we were still kind of afraid, is it safe to get out there? Is it safe to get back to normal? And we still, two years down the road to this day, have questions. Is this, is, is this going to be safe to do it? So part of it is fear. But another big part of it just has to do with apathy. Apathy. 
It's not, it's, 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 you see it all over the place. I mean, how many of you, where you work, are having a hard time finding people to hire? How many of you have gone to McDonald's or Wendy's and you see the sign posted, hiring, and they raised, you know, prices, I mean, salaries way up to try to entice people to come to work and they still can't find them. Here in our church, we, you know, we've had Rachel Ward, wonderful uh, nursery person we, that we paid to work in our nursery. I think she's done it for five or six years. But she graduated from college, so she's getting ready to take her real job teaching starting in the next school year. So we've been trying to find somebody to hire to work in the nursery, and we can't find anybody. We'll have people will call and set up an interview and then not show up. And I wondered, what in the world is going on? I kind of realized what was happening is a lot of people are getting unemployment, and they don't have to get a job, but they have to prove that they're trying to get a job. And so as long as they can get an interview lined up, then they can check that off the list and say, say well, I tried to get a job, but it didn't work out. So they can continue to get unemployment. And this is a big problem that we're having. There's just not enough people who want to work. And it's all over. And it's in the church too. Right here at Pleasant Grove, it's like pulling teeth to get volunteers. You know, starting back, many of our ministries has been so difficult, not necessarily because, you know, we weren't ready or it wasn't safe, it's just that we don't have the volunteers, we have the staff, but the staff can't do it by themselves. They've got to have volunteers to come in and do it. We can't have nursery. We can't have children's ministry. We can't baby Bible school or youth. We can't have Sunday schools if we don't have Sunday school teachers. All of these things happen because of volunteers. And we just don't have enough. And people just aren't stepping up to it. And part of it, like I said, goes back to that fear of, is it safe or not? But a lot of it just simply goes back to the fact that there's this malaise that's laying upon people all over our nation that we don't want to do it. We just want to stay at home and take it easy. But there's work to be done. And all you got to do is look around at the things that are happening in our world today where a man walks into a school and shoots up a bunch of kids and teachers or he goes into a hospital and kills uh, surgeons and doctors and receptionists and innocent bystanders. We see this stuff all the time. And I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter what laws you pass. It doesn't matter what person you elect to be in office that's not what's going to fix it. It's Jesus that the world needs. The world needs Jesus now more than ever. Kids need Jesus. Youth need Jesus. Teachers need Jesus. Medical professionals, workers need Jesus. Adults need Jesus. 
how can they ever hear about Jesus unless someone tells them? If somebody's willing to speak their language, if somebody's willing to show them by their actions, we can't be full of apathy. We can't sit by and think somebody else is going to do it. Because the influence right here at Pleasant Grove of what we're able to do, the ministries we're able to have, it either grows and expands because we have people willing to step up and do it, or it shrinks smaller and smaller and smaller because we don't have people willing to do it. Will you be the person who tells people about Jesus by what you say and what you do, understanding that the Holy Spirit of God is in you, empowering you to do it?